Today we are wrapping up our sermon series on the string of parables Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13 with a final parable that has some echoes of what we've heard up to this point. As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hear this reading from Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 53. Jesus is speaking. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. When Jesus had finished these parables, He left that place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A scientist walks into a classroom filled with students and begins a lesson by showing pictures of three different animals, a cow, a salmon, and a lungfish. She then asks, which of these things is not like the other? An eager student raises a hand and says, the cow, the cow is least like the two fish. I mean, it's obvious, right? Except that it's wrong. If we look beneath the surface of the skin and scales, we discover that the lungfish, like the cow, has lung-like organs that allows it to breathe air, which the salmon does not. The cow and the lungfish both have an epiglottis that covers their windpipe, but not the salmon. The lungfish's heart is more like a cow's heart than a salmon's heart, and the list goes on. That teacher was making a point, which scientists discovered back in the 1980s, the point that the category of fish we apply to all of those creatures swimming in oceans and rivers and lakes It's a category that doesn't really exist. It turns out what we call fish are creatures as varied as the creatures we might find on land. In the waters, there are creatures with lungs and hearts a lot like ours, and others that are more like reptiles or birds. And if you're wondering why you didn't know this before now, when scientists have known it for decades, it's because it turns out it is really, really hard to get people to let go of an idea as big as the concept of fish. It's hard for us to accept that fish don't really exist. 
Well, it starts to make a little more sense to me that fish don't exist when I think of my limited experiences of fishing. As a child, when my extended family used to gather at the beach in the summers for a week or so, we would spend a couple of afternoons fishing with my grandfather, whom we called Pop-Up. Pop-Up was the one who taught me how to put a worm on a hook and then watch for the slightest movement of the bob on top of the water that might indicate a fish had bitten. But my experience of catching fish was about 50-50. Often what had snagged on the hook was a piece of seaweed or even a piece of trash. As an adult, most of the fishing I've done has been at Lake Chautauqua in New York with my friend Amy Miracle. There's nothing Amy loves more than an hour or two of fishing early in the morning or in that dusky hour before sunset. I've gone with her a few times, but I confess that once she discovered that one of my kids was always willing to join her, I was happy to be let off the hook, so to speak. I just didn't really have the patience to stay there, casting the same line over and over, hoping to catch a fish or whatever we should be calling it. Well, on a recent trip to Ghana, the Reverend Tracy Blackman witnessed a whole different type of fishing than the pole fishing I did with my grandfather and my friend Amy. Reverend Blackman was sitting on the coastline looking out at the water when she saw a boat come in and a group of men who pulled in a huge, unwieldy net. They had to work in a carefully coordinated fashion to spread that net out on the sand. And then they each took a designated portion of it and methodically began to check it over for tears and to clear any debris that the net had brought in. Once that was done, it required six of the men to get the net back out into the water and reattached to the side of the boat. As Blackman observed, the preparation for net fishing is meticulous, but the catch is indiscriminate. When fishermen cast a net, there's no guarantee they'll catch anything at all, but even if they do catch something, it may or may not be what they were hoping for. Net fishing is indiscriminate, not targeted. You get what you get. Big fish, small fish, fish of every color and description, maybe even crab or squid or plastic or trash. Creatures we call fish, even though in reality, fish don't exist. When you fish with a net, you get what you get. And according to this parable, the kingdom of God is like that. Like a net that holds it all together indiscriminately. The good and the bad, the valuable and the worthless, the wondrous and the disgusting. In this final parable Jesus tells in this string of parables, he returns to the theme of the parable of the weeds and the wheat, in which the farmer says to just let them both grow together until the harvest, when we can figure out which one is which. Now with this fishing parable, Jesus is again suggesting that God's kingdom is an indiscriminate kind of place where it's all held together 
the good and the bad. Be careful of making your judgments too soon, Jesus seems to be warning us, especially when you're fishing with a net. Because what looks like a fish might not be. And what looks like the last thing you were hoping to catch might just turn out to be the most valuable of all. This metaphor of a fishing net is not just a description of the kingdom of God. It's also a pretty good metaphor for the human soul. As much as we would like to take the most literal meaning of what Jesus says here, that there are righteous people and there are evil people, and eventually God will eternally reward the righteous and eternally punish the evil, as satisfying as this view might be, I'm not sure it gets us to a particularly upside-down place. And as I know, you know by now, If we read a parable and don't feel like it's turned everything on its head, then we need to keep letting it work on us. So what if in this parable of the indiscriminate fishing net, Jesus isn't talking about good people or bad people, but more generally, the good and the bad, the impulse to righteousness and the presence of evil that exists in every person, in every human heart. After all, as Jesus says elsewhere, the kingdom of God is within you. So that wide net captures all of who you and I can be at our very best and our very worst. If we understand the parable that way, what does it teach us? Maybe it's that life is a series of realizations of how we've lived up to who we hope to be and how we failed to live up to that ideal. A process of recognizing, acknowledging, repenting, of pulling our net ashore and mending where it needs mending, and then taking it out back into the sea of life. Donald Kalshed is a Jungian analyst who's an expert in treating childhood trauma. In the last 10 years, he has focused his work on the challenge of democracy, both in society at large, but also in the individual. In order for democracy to thrive, he argues, we must become skilled at holding the tension created by opposing views. When opposing views, whether between two groups or two individuals or within one person, when those views can be held together collaboratively, Kalshed believes it results in a new kind of order, the creation of a third way that has more potential than either of the original positions. But, he says, we won't be able to do this as a society until we develop the skill of recognizing and resolving the tensions and contradictions that exist within us as individuals. He tells a story that helps illustrate this point, a moment in time when he found the courage to do this himself. 
Kalsha's preferred form of exercise is swimming. But during the COVID pandemic, his swim club required people to make a reservation to swim in a particular lane at a particular time of day. The first time he made a reservation, he arrived a few minutes early. He saw through the window there were still people in the pool, but he assumed they would soon be getting out to make way for the next group. So he opened the door to the pool area and walked through. Immediately, an employee of the club, Barbara, whom Kalshed knew, ran toward him with both hands up and an angry look on her face. No, you can't come in here, she said. It's not your time yet. You have to go out and wait until your lane is clear. Kalshed was immediately overcome by a feeling of shame and then anger which he knew came from childhood experiences of being scolded for doing the wrong thing, even when his intentions were innocent. But he turned and went out and waited. And then when it was his turn, he remembers having a very vigorous swim. I think steam was rising off the water. I was still so angry, he said. But after he finished and took a shower and calmed down, He knew the only way to truly resolve the tension and anger between him and Barbara was to acknowledge it. So he went to her and told her he wanted to talk. I was caught off guard when you scolded me, he told her, and it made me really angry because of some history I have for being shamed for doing the wrong thing. She nodded and then proceeded to tell him how difficult her job had been since the COVID restrictions were put into place. And then she shared several stories of club members who disregarded and disrespected her because they felt entitled to do what they wanted in spite of the restrictions that were put in place for people's safety. By the end of the conversation, the tension between Barbara and Kalshed had resolved and been replaced by empathy and understanding. Having worked together to understand each other, they appreciated each other all the more. The kingdom of heaven is like fishing with a net that brings together an indiscriminate catch, all kinds of creatures from the sea, which means eventually we have to do the hard work of figuring out what stays and what goes, what to keep and what to discard. And what can ultimately coexist in a way that reveals the astonishing riches of the kingdom. Jesus goes on to tell his disciples a final parable-like statement that every try a scribe trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is another reminder that The kingdom is a place that holds the tension of opposites. It's a place where we can gather together the traditions and wisdom of the past with the innovations and revelations of the present. A place where creative tension serves a powerful purpose. Have you understood all of this? Jesus asks. It's hard to believe his disciples answered, yes, 
with total confidence. But here in this upside-down place of the parables, Jesus invites us to hold together the yes of our understanding with the no of our confusion and trust that it all has a purpose. Ultimately, it's less important that we understand exactly what Jesus means in these parables and more important that we stand under Jesus' authority, that we allow the parables to work on us, heart, mind, and soul, to turn us upside down, to push us into uncomfortable places, and to inspire us to hold ourselves and move toward each other with mercy and grace. Because when we can do that, we will catch a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven right here and right now. Amen.